Hello, Matthew. Hello, Lee. How we are you? Are, yeah, I'm good, thanks, mate. How are you? Good, 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 good. Uh, we're back with what we're calling season three. Definitely um, season three. We've had a little bit of uh, yeah, a little bit of time off, but we've got uh, we've got some good guests lined up, haven't we? I know today's conversation was was right up there. Um, we we thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, who did we speak to today, mate? We had the AFC Wimbledon head coach, Mark Robinson, on today. And what a way to kick off season three. Brilliant. Yeah, really, really, really good. Yeah, really good. Thanks to Mark for, for giving up his time. We're currently recording um, during the off-season, but it's, it's probably the most, the busiest time for, for Mark in his, in his role and preparing for next season. So we can't thank him enough for his time. Um, we definitely took a lot from the conversation. I'm sure you guys will. Um, anything particularly that stood out to you, Matt? Just uh, it's so refreshing speaking to somebody who is doing what we talk about probably on a daily basis in a first team environment. So we, you know, talk about on all our podcasts around player ownership and people first and um, leadership within the group and decision making, all this sort of stuff. And he's actually doing it in the first team and being able to just to listen to somebody talk about their experience of implementing it how it was, how the players reacted to it was just fascinating and, and inspiring as well. Yeah, and uh, mix all that with success as well, obviously. Yeah. Keeping them in the league and and playing a attractive style of football along with it was, was yeah. really impressive. So, yeah, I, I, I thought it was a real sense of how genuine he was. Um, yeah. And he was quite modest in the sense that... Um, he sort of downplayed himself a little bit, didn't he? And the, very the, much so. the influence yeah, very he humble. had. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe that comes from the the years of, of practice and and honing his skills he's put in. And again, he, he I think he justified sort of some of the, the ways he does things, but a lot of it seems to just come naturally, especially the people skills, doesn't he? He was we were we were in awe listening to him speak, weren't we? So I can only imagine what his his players and, and staff must be like on a daily basis. Yeah, agreed. This was one I was really looking forward to, and you know, I hope I hope everyone enjoys it because he is a he's a top top man, and, and being able to listen to some of his experiences that have helped shape the way he's taking it forward now into first team, I think was was just brilliant to to be able to be a part of. Yeah, good stuff. Right, that's enough from you and I. Let's uh, let's crack on with the episode, uh, season three, episode one. Uh, here we go. Robbo, thank you very much for joining us this evening. Really good to have you on. Thanks, Matt and Lee. How, um, if I introduce you as the AFC Wimbledon head coach, how does that feel? Yeah, a bit surreal. Um, still hasn't completely sunk in, um, even though it ended up sort of being 21 games last year. But no, there's still there's still moments when it feels surreal because I live local to the ground, Matt. So there's times when I drive past. Now it's the off season. Yeah. And you, you know, now we've got the new stadium. And there, you know, there's still moments when I drive past and you look and you think, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, so, and I think that's probably more, more because we haven't had fans back yet, you know. So, yeah, those games, those 21 games without fans. So, I think, you know, when the whole area comes to life and there's fans, that, that feels surreal. Even the test event we did against Liverpool's 23s, I mean, that, that, that was quite emotional. You know, that was only 2000. Yeah. So, yeah. I can imagine. I mean, for for me, obviously, I'm I'm well up north, but I was a I was a don for the for the last twenty games. I was <laughs> I was nervous every Saturday, so I was. Uh, it was amazing when you know you you finally managed to confirm you staying up, and what what a moment that must have been for for you personal on a personal note. Yeah, it was, and I think what was pleasing. I mean, I'm I'm trying to change the the mentality of the club a little bit. You know, we've kind of celebrated staying up now for a long time. Um, yeah, and I think it's a you know a bit of a small club mentality. So there wasn't loads of celebration from the lads in terms of staying up because I said you know we need to be thinking differently to that. We can't be surviving every year. But kind of when I got time to think about it and sat back, I think the way the way the players stayed up was the pleasing thing. You know the way we did it, um, the style of football, and you know although. It was never completely comfortable. You know, it ended up being six points, and yeah. and, and and it was more the way way they did it that was really pleasing. You know, yeah. we changed the style of football. 
you know there were some great wins in there and um and from a personal perspective it was the fact that i kind of stuck with things that i believed in i would had many chats with you as you know about being told oh you won't be able to you can't do that at first team level and you can't do that yeah, at first team yeah. Level because and i kind of just made a conscious effort just to think well i want to see can can you and and what was so refreshing the players absolutely bought into everything you know stuff that we would yeah. do at development level they, they bought into it even the, even the more senior lads so that was mm. the that was where i got the real feeling of achievement from yeah i'm really looking we're, we're going to unpick that a little bit later um yeah. Did have you? I probably know the answer to this, but have you had much of a break since the season's no. finished? Have you had a chance to recharge or not as much as I'd like to, to be honest with you? No. Um, I got down to Cornwall for a week with with Claire, my wife, and the dog, which was lovely. But no, I'm kind of seeing the other side of it, which I don't enjoy, you know. Yeah, sort of. I've, in, I've enjoyed, I've, I've been presenting to players and clubs, you know, clubs regarding loans and then players that's been enjoyable. But then the other side of it, you know, kind of the agent side is not really my thing. So, um, yeah, so we're, we're, we're back in next Thursday. So probably haven't recharged like, wow. like I, would, I would like. But at the same time, once we're back training, that's the bit I love, the coaching and the training and being around the lads. Yeah. So, you know, pre-season, yeah. it's, it's, it's hardly a deal, an ordeal, sort of just being with the players and training every day. So. Yeah. So go on, take take us back because you've been at, you've been there for a long time. Talk yeah. us through some of the some of the roles that you've maybe been through and and what was your starting point when you joined AFC Wimbledon? Well, I I, I kind of got I won't bore you with, but I basically come out of football when I stopped playing and I got injured yeah. and then had a burning desire to get back into coaching through various things that were happening. Um, opened a business with my wife, borrowed a lot of money, so plan was if the business goes well that that will allow me to to go and coach because as you know when you come out of football it's very difficult to get back in so yeah. I knew it would only be at best part-time at very very best so yeah so I was doing a little bit for Crystal Palace in their foundation and and then I just bumped into someone I was at Fulham with as a player he was a couple of years older than me and he, he was doing the under nines at AFC Wimbledon and I'll be honest I knew nothing about AFC Wimbledon they'd only been going a couple of years um, two or three years and he said I'll come down you know do the under nines I talked to him about how much I wanted to coach and yeah I went down with this under nine group and he just let me get on with it really um and I and I I had a real success with that group just sort of experimenting with things you know they out of that group they stayed with the club most of them stayed with the club right the way through to scholarship which was crazy yeah brilliant um, you know, and we there was like we got six professionals out of that Sunday league. So yeah, it was um so that was that. And because I've done well with that group, they'd had 104 successive wins basically at Sunday league level. And it but I don't want you to think it was about winning, it was it was always about playing, but the winning come later. Yeah. And then, then they asked me to kind of set up the youth structure because the youth structure at that point was literally mums and dads running it, playing Sunday league football. And, and the guy, Nigel Higgs, said, I'd like you to get us ready for if we get become a professional club. At the time, we were in the Ryman Prem, so step three. And, um, yeah, so I started writing kind of curriculums and doing handbooks for players. He let me do the youth team, the under-19s. I, I took that over. And then we set up a college setup, so the boys went to college. So just basically tried to run it as professionally as we could. Yeah. And, 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 and then, obviously, we got promoted eventually out the conference, beating Luton in the playoffs and got academy status. Well, centre of excellence. Centre of excellence, yeah. So, so I was kind of head of youth then. And then very quickly that changed to EPPP. So we got that status quite well. And then EPPP, as you know, was a lot more difficult. And if I'm honest, we wasn't quite set up for that. I was academy manager, but I was always a coach. So I didn't really want to... Yeah. I didn't want a desk job. I wanted to be out with the players doing the youth team and coaching. And so we had a mix around. And I don't know if you know, Jeremy Sawyer then become academy manager. We had a change around and then we got academy status. And then, and that was it really. So I've always done the, I've always done the under 18s. I was, I've been head of coaching. Um, I, I was academy manager initially, head of coaching. Then I was um, 
head of football, um, whatever that was. Um, and then sort of then eventually when Wally Downs come in, he asked me to do the 23s and set up a loans <laughs> department because he didn't yeah. like 23s football. And then Glenn brought me closer to the first team. And then this, so yeah, done a bit of everything, really. Everything, everything from the start. So we, yeah. we met on the Advanced Youth Award. Yeah. And, I, and something that struck me when we were talking, um, uh, probably over lunch, and all the stuff around ownership and, and things being player-led, um, it, was, it was really, well, it was, it was refreshing hearing that, um, particularly under 18. You hear it a lot probably in younger ages, but, but you were talking about under 18s and, and then you started sharing some of the stuff that you were doing with us. Would you, yeah. would you give us a bit of insight into how you introduced that ownership and player-led approach and, and what maybe some examples of, of what you were doing? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd always done it. So with that young age group, I, I was just a big belief from my own experience of, as a player that, you know, I, I worked under some good coaches, you know, te- maybe technically good, technical good information. But I can't say I particularly felt inspired, you know, mm. uh, that, that inspired me. And I just felt that it was all very, the coaching was very kind of parrot, you do that, you do this, you know. And I felt that you, you couldn't express yourself if you did, you got told it was wrong, etc. So I've always thought if I got the opportunity, I really wanted to inspire players and I wanted them to take as much control as possible. And I always thought my role is just to add detail where, where necessary, you know, um, but not hinder them. So even with that young group, you know, we started with things when they were under 10, they were doing their own warm-ups. And you know, I've, yeah. always looked at, I've always looked at football and found it quite crazy because I, I love individual sports as well, Matt. I, yeah. I love the drive of individual sportsmen, you know, and, and I've had friends who are athletes. And I look, I look at how they warm up to prepare themselves. And then I look at footballers and they have to have someone standing there clapping, telling them to do it. <laughs> Telling them to do yeah. the same straight. Go, before, go. Before, yeah, go, go. Before, <laughs> they, before, before they go into battle, you know, and I'm, I'm finding, you know, so football, as we all say, you speak to most coaches and they say, you know, what defines a great player from a good one and a good one from average is decision-making. Yeah. yeah. The whole process, there seems very little decision-making. You get told what to do in warm-ups and the coaches tell you what to do. So I've always had this, I want players to take as much ownership as possible. So. I started at a young age and then I got to the stage with the youth team where we were having success, um, you know, as you know, in the FA Youth Cup runs and stuff, and I felt we were yeah. playing good football. But then I just felt it, it was your game, actually. It was when we played you. After we played you, you know, I thought we were the better side. <laughs> <laughs> but under, I thought the pressure you guys put us under, yeah, we didn't, we didn't quite deal with that. You know, and I know you rated us as a side and you'd watch us. Yeah, very much. Yeah. And and we played with a lot of freedom, but I looked at us under pressure and, you know, you're the manager at the time and that put me under quite a lot of pressure and your players, the way they dealt with it. And I just felt we we lacked something. We lacked a mental edge. And so it just made me review it and think, well, how can we find that? What can I, what, what can we do better to go to the the next step? So, yeah, I looked at player led games at that age group, really. So, um, I, I wanted that. I, I presented to him at the start of the season, and I said, "How do you feel about? Oh, excuse me, one sec. How do you feel about taking your own game at some part of the season?" And um, and it was quite interesting their response, how nervous they was, and mm. you know, it just made it, it was a good one was scared. Again, you look to where the kids think, "Well, that's kid all the time used to go out and just play." You know, you didn't worry were quite nervous about it. so it was a process and it led to them having a player lead game but when I said player lead game everything they did logistics all they all they traveled with was a physio yeah and everyone give me loads of reasons why not to do it you know from my FA tutor <laughs> gave me all, all the reasons why you shouldn't do it but I just did it and it was possibly one of the best things I ever done that the, I'm not saying it cured anything but the platform it gave us so we hadn't I think we played nine games we hadn't won or we'd won one so yeah. we, we, we were a good side but we, we were struggling because we were trying to get into play and the first player leg game come up and it was away 
to Orient and I checked with Orient they were happy I explained why we were going to do it because I didn't want it to look disrespectful that yeah yeah I was sending a team along with no coach etc and but the boys said no we're still going to do it and they went and they played well but they found themselves 2-0 down um and they changed formation themselves with about 25 minutes to go and come back and draw to drew to all and even when they come back to our stadium at the time, you could just see the difference that they'd done that. They'd taken control of a game. Because they'd done it themselves. And they'd done it themselves and they got a yeah. positive result. And, and what it did, it just acted as a fantastic platform in terms of whenever we were training, if intensity dropped. So I could just always put it back on them and say, listen, you took a game. Logistically, you organised it. There was little things that happened, like on the way to the ground, the coach couldn't get down a, a road. Um, and about four of the players were already at the ground. They'd gone their own way. Now, you know, that sort of thing happens. It's me or yeah. you gets on the phone. <laughs> so the players just took control. They rung up the lads there, said, listen, we're going to be late. Can you get the warm-up ready? So they just took control of everything. Um, Brilliant. And, and it just led me, any time intensity dropped in training, I didn't really have to say anything. I just referred back to this, this and everything went up. Well, anyway, so we, we'd already planned to do a second player-led game and to cut a long story short out of the next I think 22 games we lost two games basically from then on in um, the next player led game was away to Luton and, and that was a must win game to go into the the next level you know the higher yeah. and yeah we went away to Luton and they won 2-0 um, you know and Luton are a you know, top academy and it and it just made me realise that you, you've got to give people ownership. They just flourish, they grow. Yeah. Um, they can do it. They can do and, it as well. And they can do it. And I think people get scared. I, you know, I had lots of comments like, well, what's your job? You're putting yourself out of a job. And I said, you know, my job's to add detail. My job's to look at, you know, improve them as players. Can I add technical detail? Can I give them a little bit of tactical information? My job isn't to, to do all that other stuff around it, you know, mm. um, and and yeah, and and we and most importantly, we had a real success out of that group in terms of pro contracts, which is what it's all about at the end of the day. Yeah. Mark, yeah. just on on that, mate. What does um, what does ownership and, and player led look like now at the at the senior level? Is that still important <laughs> to you? And and what does that yeah. look like? Because I can imagine maybe some some players might have been a bit yeah um, uneasy with it. But what does that look like now to you? Well, it's really funny, Luke, because obviously when I went for the job, um, I thought, like, because I've got all these ideas in my head and I thought, what, like, what do I do? I can't lose them before I've even got them because, you know, there were some senior lads in there and I'm thinking, if I go in there and start saying, right, you're going to do your own warm-up. Although I, they knew me, it's like, where's this guy coming from? So it was a real, it was a real tough choice of what I did do and what I didn't do, if that makes sense. So, you know, what, what's yeah, the yeah. So, you know, I spoke to guys I've worked with for years and they were very much be yourself, be yourself. And I said, no, I get that. But if I go in and change everything, I think I could lose them before I've even got them. So it was gradual, really, Lee. And we never got to the stage, um, you know, where I had players doing warm-ups. But, you know, watch this space. Watch, watch this space. But <laughs> there, was certainly a lot of, there was certainly a lot of ownership in terms, you know, there was a change. There was a real shift. You know, so the first thing I did, I got values boards down at the training ground in terms of what our values are and ownership was one of them. And there was just little changes like I, I refused to find them. Um, so I said, we're not having rules and fines. And that was quite an interesting meeting. I had one of the senior players actually begging me to find him. Um, <laughs> so we, we, went, we, we went to an away game and one of them washed their boots in the sink away from home. They didn't clean it. So we took a picture. And, and then we were doing some analysis and I put a picture up of the sink and straight away he just flew. I told you, Robbo, find us. I told you to find us. And I'm like, <laughs> like as in, you, you know, and I went, no, what, what, what do you mean? Why, why have I got to find? Because I told you, we, you know, people get away with murder. So we had this conversation about values, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, listen, I'm, I'm not finding you, you know, because I've, I've seen it before. You find players, it goes towards the kitty. They, they use it as part of the Christmas drink. And it, you know, and my argument to them was, if I'm continually finding you, then it's not working. You know, you clearly, it's not working. So, um, and what was interesting, that same player at the end of the season, 
he actually sent me an article on a basketball team in America, and I can't remember what one it was, but their, their ruling was no, no, no rules, no fine. That, that was one of their, their conditions that they don't rule and fine players. And I said, we, you know, we work under values, not, not rules and fines, you know? Um, so that was, but that, it was all gradually. It wasn't kind of coming and this is how it's going to be. It was just gradual. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was gradual steps. It was even the same with analysis. You know, I've always been told you can't do more than 10, 15 minutes because players switch off. And um, I remember our first analysis session was away to Wigan. And I was about sort of 20, 25 minutes in and I thought, well, I'd better stop. And again, <laughs> one of the senior players actually went, no, 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 carry on. We're loving it. So there was, there was gradual little steps like that, really. Um, yeah. So it's more about where, where do I take it next year? But I feel that we're in a good place, ready to take the next, the next step forward, really. Do, do you find that, that players at that level still <clears throat> like to be sort of told what to do? Or are you finding that involving them and sort of coming to a, a shared sort of agreement? Obviously, your, your role yeah. is to, you said earlier about add the detail, but do you in, involve them in discussions or is it still, do they, they want to be told, right, this is our approach? Or No, initially, they really wanted to be told. Like, they actually can't be, just tell us, just tell us and I refuse to tell them every you know um and i would say when we started doing analysis it was probably 80 percent me probably 90 percent me 10 percent them by the last five games of the season it was probably 60 percent and 40 percent me um, why, why do you think they were like that Matt? why is it just because of how it's always been in comfort zones and how, how it's always been they they, they want to be told and I, and I just kept going back to them about you know decision-making, empowerment, you know, football's a game of ever-changing pitches. So, you know, I can't give you all the answers, you know, so I, we, I can talk to you about things, but on the pitch, you've got to make instant decisions. You've got to see things, you've got, you know, all these things. So I think it helped because we were playing well and doing well, but over a time, they just, they bought into it and they could see the benefit. There would still be moments we lost a couple of games over Easter and they kind of, a couple, you know, you've, I think you've got to direct us more. And I was like, listen, we played well. You know, I'm not, I'm not a massive stats person, but we had stats to back up that there was an awful lot of, of what we were doing that was really good. I'd say the only time I had to get a little bit more directional, which again, I think is the job of a, a coach, was we were playing well, Lee. We'd lost a couple over Easter when we played really well. And I think some of the young players had kind of got into a full sense of security that I we kept saying we're playing well, we're doing well, but we still hadn't pulled away. And I think, I think it was then just giving those younger lads a little bit of a, a reality check. Listen, we are playing well, but unless we start winning games, then, you know, we could be playing well all the way down to League Two. So we had a bit of a reality check meeting, which that's part of it, isn't it? It's, it's recognising when you need to do that. You know, it's reckoned. Nice and win to do that. And that, that was a key meeting, really. I think we, we then won and went for, we won four on the spin after that. So, but that was just part of my learning, I think. That was just part of me recognising, now this is my time to step in now and, and maybe be a bit more directional, you know. Did did what you what you experienced with the youth team and the younger players Bill, did it fill you with confidence doing what you what you did with the first team? Because I remember when when you got the interim role you know that's your you know it's an opportunity to obviously help the club but obviously it's an opportunity for yourself to because you you know you have the chance to to do something <laughs> did were, were you did what you did in with the youth setup did it make you feel more confident in going in and doing it because i remember thinking oh i wonder how i wonder how robert's going to play this because mm. you know i i know what you're about i know how you coach and then you always you, you look at it and you think well the first team must be different and I remember hearing your first interview and I was like, oh, crap, he's, he's gone for it. He's like, he's just like he is normally. And I was thinking, this is brilliant. It, that is, you know, that could have been him talking after an under-16 game or an 18s game or yeah. I, I was amazed. And, and I thought, brilliant. And it just, it hooked me in, never mind, you know, if I was a, a, a Wimbledon fan. But did, did what you've done before, did it fill you with confidence knowing that actually I really do believe in this, this, this will work? Yeah, or, or were, you, were you feeling, oh, well, because I know we spoke about it and you said, listen, I'm going to be myself, I'm going to be authentic. 
yeah. you know, did what I'm saying is, did you think it would work? Did you know it would work? Or, or is no, it just, no, I'm no. just going to be me? I had doubts, Matt, because when, you know, you've worked in development for a long time, same as you, Lee, and, you know, it's like you do get told continuously, first team level's very different, first team level's very different. So I can't lie, I, I, you know, I wasn't going in there thinking, no, I've got this, this is going to be fine. No, I, I had loads of doubts, loads of worries and concerns, will it work? But what was really good was that the people behind me, you know, just said, listen, if you'll, you'll regret this forever. If you don't go in and, and be yourself, you know, you're going to regret this. So and my wife's great like that as well. So I had a chat with her when I got back on the Saturday after, unfortunately, Glenn had, had, had lost the job. And and then I spoke to people. And, I did, and by the time it got to sort of 11 o'clock Sunday, I just thought, I can't have any regrets. I've got to, to do this. You know, um, I did obviously look and... Like I've just said to Lee, they're right to go. Well, what am I going to go with first? Can't just go and try and change everything. Yeah. But no, of course, I had loads of self doubt. But, you know, but that just shows you, you know, when we talk about players and confidence, you know, they have loads of self doubt. You know, as you said, I've been mm. working in development for years and like to consider I've been successful and developed lots of players into pro. But I didn't go into it thinking, no, no, this is going to be easy. I had loads of doubts because I've been told it wouldn't work. But fundamentally once I've got my head together I just thought no I've got to do it because if I just go in there and dip my toe in the water you know I'm gonna I'm gonna regret it for the rest of my life so yeah so then then I, I just did I, I decided to go for it and and you feed off the players once you've got the reaction off the players that 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 was what gave me the belief that's what gave yeah. me the confidence and and you just you just <clears throat> Everyone wants to get better at the end of the day. And I think yeah. as long as you, as long as they can see that empathy from you. And the biggest thing I would say is, is once they felt safe, that's when everything changed. And once they felt safe in the environment, that's when everything started to change. Once, once we've got a culture and a learning environment where there was no ridicule and there was no like piss taking, you know, when someone said something and they started to feel safe that's when it really started to take off. Um, yeah. And, you know, and you talk like this and everyone thinks, oh, it's all holistic, but it's not. It's, it's, it's anything. You know, you've been in enough meetings where you, you, you don't want to say something because someone's going to shout you down. So I'd say once, once, once the environment becomes safe, that's when I felt it really started to change. Um, yeah. And I brought in a mindset coach. I don't know if you... Do you know Steve Salis? Either of you? Have you, you know, oh, I've come across Steve before, yeah. Yeah, so I brought in Steve um I, I didn't have the budget to bring him, but he'd come in kind of well initially coming like once a week but then you know he, he comes in he, he he just rings the lads but he'd done a couple of presentations that were brilliant and again he he doesn't come in heavy it's not heavy like psychological stuff he's just pretty much my name's steve and i want to help you you know yeah um and he talks about armor and players professional footballers carrying this armor around you know they don't want to let that armour down because I'm a professional footballer and I've got to be tough and I've got to be this, you know. And once that armour chipped away, then that's that's when I felt things change. And, and the great thing was as well, you know, we had our values there, which kept everything in line. So although you've got this holistic approach, you know, you've, you've got your values where they step out of that and they see a completely different side of me. Um, but along the way, we had a real laugh. That was That mm. was the pleasing bit. Yeah, if you if you'd come to the training ground, you would never have dreamt we were in a relegation fight, you know, because the spirit was just great. It was yeah. Really is it is it is it just about people? That's that's what strikes me when when we talk, uh, you know, and what what you talked to earlier about player ownership and player led. That's it's really it's people, isn't it? That's developing people, yeah. and and uh, the, an example. I think I mean you probably won't you know like me saying it, but. The, the the example of those players that came back and presented a gift to you um, yeah. to say thank you for what what you've done through their youth cup run that's that's bigger than football isn't it? Um, it's it's everything, isn't it? It's I mean I can't I can't even put into words out that made me feel. You know this this how long goes that now? What four five years? Yeah, yeah. five years ago. Um, yeah. You know, and they had lads in America on FaceTime, like you know, sort of a, so. That is exactly what it's about. And I've been thinking about this because it's tough because, you know, how can, how can I explain it? I think this has always been there, though, Matt. 
this has always been there, but I think what's happened is, and I've talked to other guys about this, I've talked to previous managers, is it's just times change. So what we what we do now, we put we put a label on things like we you know processes and and yeah. this. so it all sounds yeah. very realistic. But if you watch interviews with people like Bill Shankly and stuff, it was all about the people. Yeah, you know, and you read Brian Clark, it was all about the people. Ferguson was the same, wasn't it? Ferguson was the same. It was all about the yeah. people. But what's happened is life has changed young men, you know. So I didn't do the player leg game because I thought, oh, I want to be an alternative. I want to do a player leg game. I just feel young people now, because life's changed, they just need this, you know. Um, and I had a good chat with one of the ex-managers about that, about his upbringing. And he was saying, you know, at 13, he was working down Brixton Market yeah. and doing stuff with his dad. But that, that kind of stuff doesn't happen now. So yeah. for me, it's just more about looking, well, what does life give our young players now that it probably didn't give back then? And coming up with methods so that we can try and give that, you know, because I think yeah. I look at young players and I think some have got so much more talent than, than we had. But there are certainly other aspects that are missing. And that's probably because of what we had, you know. I mean, I lived on a council estate. You're out playing with your mates and playing with lads who are five years older. So there's those elements that are missing. So all I've ever tried to think is, well, how can I give those them elements without blaming them? Because I, I hear a lot of coaches go, ah, oh, they're, they're this now and they're that now. No, they're yeah. not. They're not anything. They're just products of life now. That do, do you think if you don't get that right, it's hard to build on because after your first, in, I think it might have been your first interview, you know, yeah. you're thrust into battle in the relegation zone and, and you went after the, the players about kit. Do you remember? You talked yeah. about the kit being on the floor and, you know, like that's, that's not what you'd expect to come out, but you were going, well, actually this, that, that's a, is a symbol for other things. Do you, do you think then that, that is the, the foundation? We have to get this stuff right in order for us to get the other stuff. I think so, and and part of it is is also I've got to remember the club I work for, you know. So, you know, there might be certain things I talk about that people don't think are as relevant. But you know, we're a fan-owned club. We got the biggest volunteer group in in the country in terms of in COVID. You know, one of our fans set up a, a an act. He's called Don's Local Action Group, and he's just been awarded a medal from the the Queen. Um, so they got two thousand members. And I, I actually volunteered with my wife during the first lockdown. Um, and they're not all Wimbledon fans, by the way. They started as Wimbledon fans. And that's what we are. We're a fan-owned club, Matt. So there are certain things that I just feel represent us as a club, that our players need to behave in a certain way. Other people might not think that's necessary. But, you know, I think I, try and, I, I want to take them outside the football bubble. I think it's really important. Um you know, if I'm honest, I think the sport's become a little bit vulgar in certain ways, you know. And and I, and I, I just think it's key. So Thursdays, our players go and deliver food parcels to the elderly and, and vulnerable on a rotational basis. So, they, you know, that's with the Don's local action group. And I just think it's key for them as, as people. You know, uh, people, other people might see it differently, you know, but I don't look at football as a, as a short career. I look at football as just a fantastic part of their life. And I think that's it. And I, personally, I think it's something that we do wrong. We sell it as this short career and we put these players in this pressure cooker, which I think leads them to bad decisions, financial decisions, where possibly they might be playing somewhere where they're really content and playing great football, but they feel they have to go and earn an extra whatever. And, and, and it doesn't lead to contentment. And I think I think we should sell it as it's a wonderful part of your life, not, not a short career. No disrespect, you know. How long you've been working for? I don't think as many people think they go to work for twelve years and then it's all over. You know, no, no. For me, it's just it's just a wonderful part of your life, and I think they should also be thinking about what's next because again, that takes away that pressure. And I think as coaches, I think that's our job as well to kind of educate them to think what's next. But again, I think people worry about that because they go, "Oh no, they should just be football, football, football." They can. They can They've got enough time on their hands to, you know, to spend a couple of hours in the afternoon, maybe thinking about, oh, what, where will I go next? Especially at the level that that I'm working, you know, I'm working at, where they're not yeah. earning. Food. So, it's just Mark, you said, you said there, mate, about 
the 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 people skills and the I guess you might call it the sort of psych social side of the the four yeah. corner model how important that is and <clears throat> compare that to like the technical tactical when you're planning whether it be for a a, a day or a week ahead how much if any of your sort of time and energy do you put into planning that psych social stuff or does it just come quite naturally to you i know matt will probably back me up here you seem to have quite a i say it's a gift but you've honed it over many years of coaching that the, the relationship skills and stuff like that but do you is there any sort of processes you go through or, or things that you think about to try and yeah. touch on that side of it rather than just i guess x's and o's well, only um, in terms of we devised a, a, a planning for, for a session planner, basically. So when we plan sessions, it's broke up into, into that. So there's a social, psychological, technical, tactical skill is in decision-making. And when, when we plan a session, we just have a kind of a rating of low, medium and high. So, and we look at the session. So even if it's a technical session and we tick where we think that session will hit, if that makes sense. So if it's a, a technical heavy session, then obviously it should be high in technical. It might be low in skill. But what we try and do is when we plan is, can we not be low in anywhere? So even if it's a technical session, can we give them a certain amount of ownership that it takes it at least to medium in terms of social site? Can we put something on the end of it where it takes it at least to medium in, in decision-making under skill? You know, and and it's and it, I've done that for years in terms of how I plan it, and then I just go back and reflect on the session after. And obviously, you have to be honest with yourself, and and you reflect on it and go, well, did I hit that? You know, or, or did I not? But I think what a lot of coaches tend to do, they blame the players and go, oh, they weren't on it today. And so I, you, you look and go, well, what could I possibly have added, or what could I have done better? Or did I talk too much? You know, did you know various things? You know, was it was it the was it the session or was it me in terms of how I took it? So that's the biggest thing that I do is that that self reflection after every set, like in the planning and then the reflection after and and what can we add? And sometimes it just might be something really simple. You know, I'm sure you do. You guys do something like this. You know, we might do an eight v eight, and we have a runoff area. You know. Um, where you call you call someone out and they have to go on a 20 second run and just for those 20 seconds you've now got an underload against an overload um the communication steps up because you try and send the player out maybe just as they're attacking down the left hand side you send the right back out so the right back's got to go on the run they've got to shift they've got to talk there might be a and he goes out on the run do you see a change in the mentality of the team who's got the 8v7? Do you see a change in the mentality of the 7v8? The lad who then comes back has to communicate he's back in when he's back in shape. He's now blowing. So tactically, he might then receive the ball the next, and he's technically blowing. And do you know what I mean? So just little simple things like that. You think, well, where can I just add something that I can just take everything up a step? You know? Obviously, we did it the other week, actually. It was funny with it. And this is something I thought, oh, what do I do with the first team? So we send the keeper out. So it might be an 8v8. So you send the keeper out on a 30-second run. So then obviously the, the team who's got the ball, they've then got to try and keep the ball for 30 seconds. Or do you know what I'm saying? Or can they have a shot? And again, it just changes that, that mindset, that game management for that 30-second spell. How are we going to deal with not having a goalkeeper in goal? You know, just little things, just little things. Really. How, will you talk us through your, your coaching structure. That you brought in. So obviously, once you got you know the the job, I know you you changed some of the roles and, and sort of the team around you. It's yeah. it's slightly different, isn't it, than the traditional club? If you looked, you'd see the you know manager, assistant, first team coach, for example. You've gone slightly different. Will you talk yeah. us through the sort of structure that you've got and and your thinking behind it? Well, the, the way it happened was I got the job, so it wasn't. If I'm completely honest, it wasn't completely my thinking initially. So. They offered me the job interim. Um, I had Rob Tuvey, who was the youth team coach, and I asked him to step up and help me. But what I had, the situation I had, Matt, was um, I didn't know if I got the job. So I didn't want to just bring anyone in. I had a couple of people I would have liked to brought in, but they were in good jobs. So they wasn't going to give up good jobs to come and, you know, have a punt whether I could, 
I'm getting quick rid of that. Four-week I mean, contract. I, exactly. I, 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 I did speak to them and, you know, to be fair, they were like, well, Robbo, you know, we love you and we'd love to have a go, but by the end of the day, you know, so, uh, so I was kind of left in that situation, but I trusted Rob and I thought, well, what do I... And, you know, people said, oh, experience. And I think everyone associates experience with age. And I think that's that's nonsense. So I thought, well, I'm not just going to bring someone in for the sake of it, just because it looks good that I've brought in someone, you know, who's been around the block a bit. So I went with Rob. But what the club actually did, which was quite good, in the interview process, they had someone else who went for the job, Justin Cochran, who was working at England. And they just said, oh, I think, you'd, why don't you meet him? There might be something we can do with England. So I met with Justin, absolutely loved him. And he come in kind of on a sabbatical as an extra pair of hands. So he couldn't come in all the time, but he'd come in a couple of days a week. He'd come in on match days and he used to feed information down. And it just worked really, really well. Um, and it just made me think about moving forward. But the other things I brought in, I brought in a restarts coach. So um, we had a guy already in the academy who he works for the coach's voice. And his, his detail on games is, is incredible. Um, and I knew he, he, he loved set pieces and things. So I talked to him. And I think, you know, I'm a big believer football's about momentum, Matt. And you, and you can gain momentum in so many ways. And yeah. so he, his job basically is every time the ball becomes dead, he, he, his job is to come alive and work out how we can gain momentum. So that, that might be opposition throws. Um, you know, it might be dead balls, absolutely every time the ball comes dead, how are we going to gain an advantage? So I brought I brought him in, I brought Steve Salas in as the mindset coach because I knew he'd back up everything in terms of what I was trying to achieve in terms of culture and environment. Um, and, that, and that was it really. But then Rob did so well that I've kept Rob, you know, and I trust him. You know, he's, only, he's Rob's still only 28, 29, but he did fantastically well. And what I've done is because I wanted to employ other people and step up out what I think is our professionalism. So I've brought in an individual analysis guy now because we've, we've grown our young pro section. So instead of just giving our scholars a year and an option now, which I think is nonsense, you know, how many yeah. players are going to be ready? We, we're now giving them two years and an option. So we're giving them up to three years. But alongside that, I've brought in an individual analysis coach. So he will deal with the individual analysis as well as having a full time that looks after the team stuff. So I've just tried to, within the budget, make it spread as far as I can, if that makes yeah. sense. And what I've actually done, I delivered to a, a Premier League club and they're giving me one of their bright young coaches on a sabbatical. So um, when, I, when I delivered to them on loans, I did also delivered to them about, you know, have you got any coaches that you really rate, but you think it would be great for them to have an experience of first team football. So I've, I've, well, I'll find out tomorrow, but I'm 90% sure that he'll be joining me at least until Christmas. And, and I just think, you know, and, and to be honest, I'd, I'd go away, I'd go even further than that. I, I would actually think about bringing someone in from a different sport if the opportunity come, you know, from rugby or something to add, yeah. to add something different. You know, if I felt that it was going to enhance what we do, then, you know, I'll, 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 I would do that. But it's great to have a fresh pair of eyes come in, you know. Um, and it just is, is that, is that at, the, at the forefront? Because people, do, you do see people, don't you, do things differently just for the sake of doing differently. But every, yeah. everything that you're talking about there, you, it, everything has to add value. Is that, is that yeah. something that's in the forefront of your mind? Is this going to add value to, to what we're doing? I mean, of course, I'm not just going to take anyone in because I think, oh, it's a good, you know, so I've met the, he was very, he's a really impressive coach. Um, you know, he's worked at places where I think he can add massive value to our young players because um, he's worked at, um, I don't want to get, you know, the Glen Hoddle Academy. So he's technically yeah. very, very good. So there's that value straight away. I think it shows to the players, you know, when you're talking to players about having a learning environment, then it shows to the players that runs throughout the whole club. The staff as well. Staff as well. And, yeah. you know, because no one's got all the answers. No. You know, I'm, we're all still searching for answers all the time, but it shows to the players. But I think people worry about stuff like this, mate, because it's almost they think it looks like a weakness. 
oh, if I haven't got all the answers, then it's a weakness. But I'm not. I'm just saying to the players, we're all getting better together. All of us are getting better together. He's going to add some value. And we we all need to get better together. You know, yeah. so that's, that's just the way I see it. That's the way I see it. So, so go on. How, for, obviously, from, you know, your career, making a step into the first team, how did you manage inside? Or, how, you know, how did you feel, firstly? You know, when obviously when, you know, when you come to, you came up to us, I, I see you on the touchline, I see how you behave and how you, you are. And obviously you want to win, but, you know, it, it, you've got some perspective. When you're in a first team and you have that relegation, the threat of relegation on you, and the number of games are, are, are running down, how were you feeling and how did you manage it inside? I felt... I felt really calm. I don't know if that's going to be, I'm going to feel quite so calm when the fans are back. Um, <laughs> but I did feel, I did, I felt really, really calm. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I can't lie. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the pressure, but I've always put myself in, in pressure situations. So I think that has worked well for me, but I, I must admit, Matt, I enjoyed it. The only time I felt a little bit twitchy was Easter where we lost the Plymouth away. Yeah, really, really, really well. And to be fair, the manager was great. He got me in after because we, we played so well second half and he got me in and he just listened. That that was something that was really refreshing, actually. Sorry to go off. Some of the managers were brilliant, you know. Um, yeah. yeah, Nigel Atkins kept in touch with me after we played Charlton. So supportive, you know. He really just, positive. Just literally said to me, just keep doing what you're doing, Robbo. Don't steer away from it because we, we played really well against him. Drew to all. Um, then we played Plymouth. As I said, we we lost one 0 and he made a big thing. He said, Look, "Come and see me," and he and, and he was great. And he just said, "You know, listen, second half we couldn't get near you. You know, don't lose the fight, which is good. We all need that. We're all human, you know." Yeah. You know? yeah. And he was great. And then we followed it up. We played Fleetwood um, on the Tuesday after losing to Plymouth, and again we were the better side. And my goalkeeper Tanzu was brilliant. Made an error. He kicked it against players' shins and it went in. Yeah. And again, he was fantastic. That, and the managers were really supportive, which was which was was great. But that little that two game spell, yeah, I, I had a little the belly went a little bit then because <laughs> you're thinking, as I said, we're, we're doing a lot right. We've lost two games, and that was when what I said to Lee. That was when Steve Salis really helped me, and Steve just went, "Listen, you, you, you're so clear. You're playing well." It's so clear the players are buying into everything that you're doing. But I think you need to find an edge, you know. You need to find an edge. And, and that I went home on that Sunday and started thinking, right, where does that come from? So we had a meeting. I, I arranged for us to train at the stadium and I did a presentation to the boys about finding an edge to our play. Um, and, and part of it, I, I got the League Two tape table up and it wasn't to be disrespectful for League 2 but I got the League 2 table up and I just went to toilet and just left them there with the League 2 table um, and then when I come <laughs> back in um, I just said how many places there do you fancy travelling to and I didn't mean that in a disrespectful way but just you know and then yeah. a few of the senior boys stepped forward one of them stepped forward I won't swear but said no way am I having a relegation on my CV they stepped up and it led me to talk to some of the younger lads that have been performing well, but kind of talk about, you know, are we doing enough in the final third? Are we getting in areas to find that edge? Um, you know, are we, you know, and I look back on sort of the early games when, you know, we did more players getting in key areas and stuff. And we took it out to training and it was it was crazy. I I think I got two black eyes. We had, uh, I started panicking actually. So <laughs> we, 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 and we set the session up for that, you know, a lot of it was final third stuff. And yeah, we, you know, we had a bump take, a couple of black eyes, and, and the players were just going for it. And 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 on the Saturday we beat Atkinson 5-1. So yeah. yeah, and and that was sort of kind of where we we kicked on but that I think that was part of me learning maybe from my development background was I a little bit over purist and I needed that little kick up the backside from Steve you know in in a good way the way he did it you know me thinking as well that's going to be all right we're playing well the players are enjoying it 
everything would be okay. One win and it would come. So that was, I think that was a learning experience for me. And, and, and you know, thankful for Steve that he did it, really. Matt, that was going to be my next question, Mark, <clears throat> actually, about who who checks and challenges you. Or I know <clears throat> when you listen, uh, listen to you speak, you, you, I guess you see yourself as part of a team, not sort of the leader who's above everyone else. But being the first team, the head coach, maybe people can can see you as sort of the one at, who's who's leading things and might might be scared or, or wary of checking and challenging you. You said there about Steve and how important that is, but do, do you have anything in place or, or where did you touched on earlier about learning and uh, learning? How, how do you keep developing? Do you have in this role? I know you probably don't have time for a lot of other stuff, but how, who challenges you? And I guess, how do you ensure you, you keep sort of developing in the role you're in now? Well, I'd say again, with, with our environment, um, I, I try and, and I, hopefully I'm being successful I want the staff, I want us to all challenge each other. So, you know, I, I, I don't have an office at the training ground. I sit with I sit with all the staff. I, well, there was an office, but I don't use it. We turn that into a meeting room. So, again, by putting myself out there and being part of all the conversations, I think they feel comfortable to challenge me. Um, and, and and they have done a lot of... Did you do that? Did you do that consciously? Or is that just how you work anyway? Yeah, just now. I just think... You want to be part of those football conversations, you know. You want to. You don't want. It's not. I don't want to miss out. But you, you know, I don't want to be popping in and out of the office. You just want to hear. You know, I don't know, Lee. I'm just. It's just. I'm just. A, you're just a normal bloke, aren't you? You want to. I don't. Yeah. Want, I don't. I don't <laughs> people want those, person. Yeah, I don't want that separation. I just don't yeah. want that separation. You know, and again, you know, there'd be times when you might have to have a different face and show a different face because someone may have done something and you're not happy with that, but that's, that's part of management. But in terms of day to day, you don't, I don't want that separation. And, and then again, I think that builds that, that safety that they feel they can say to me, if, if honest, I'd say most of it was more positive reinforcement. Like Bezo knows me for years. He's the goalkeeping coach. He's been there himself eight, nine years. And we've always had a good relationship, even when I was with the Academy, because we've had real success with goalkeepers and stuff. So a couple of times he would just grab me and go, hey, be you, be you. You know, just that little. So he'd recognise that in me, that maybe I was a little bit of self-doubt, which is great. Um, so there was that. Steve I used, so I'd, I'd ring, St Steve would ring me weekly just to see how I was, how I was feeling. And then, but I'm, I'm my own biggest crit critic, if I'm honestly. So, you know, um, I'll, I'll always reflect on everything. My wife's fantastic with me, to be honest. I can sit down and talk with her and, and she will pull me in line if I kind of, she sees me going off track. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I've answered your question. So there's various people, you know, and there are other people, um, you know, who I know I can talk to if if need be. You know, I don't know if you've heard of Alf Gerlestein, who's quite a, he started Curva Coaching. So, you know, there's people I can bring if I feel, that I need to really. And the rest is just a lot of reading. I do a lot of reading. What's um something you've read recently? Sorry to put you on the spot with that one, but no, no, no. I'm reading um Leaders Eat Last at the moment. Yeah, that's good. Yes. Simon Sinek. It's actually bought for me by a fan. How nice was that? So oh, brilliant. Uh, I I obviously he'd been watching some of my interviews. He's in America, he lives in America. And he said, oh, I don't, he sent me a letter saying, I don't know if this is the case, but from some of the things you said, I'll, I guess that you might have listened to Simon Sinek, which I have. And he said, oh, hopefully you might find this book useful. So, yeah, he sent me over. Oh, brilliant. A book. So that's, that's the one I'm reading at the moment. Yeah. Good. So what, what, um, oh, we won't keep you for too long, Robert, but what, what, what next? Obviously, we've talked about where, where you've been and some of the experiences you have. What, what are your, you know, what are your aspirations, I guess? In, in management, it's, you know, you've got to be thinking about immediately in front of you. But what, you know, when I read the the article from, you know, when you got the, the role, the CEO's comments, I think, were something about how he believed in your ability to create cultural change at the yeah. club. So what what are your ambitions for, for Wimbledon, you know, this season and, and beyond? I... I don't like putting ceilings on things really, Matt. You know, 
if I think if you you know you ask the fans and and the club, they would just love a season of not looking over their shoulder where they felt like a a real like a good solid League One club. You know, yeah. I think every year we've been a League One club. You know, we, they've always felt we're going to go down fighting relegation. So I think you know from a club perspective, that's what they would hope for is to look like we belong in League One and we look like a a League One outfit. For me, I'm, I'm not going to tell you. I mean, you know, I, 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 can't, I can't put a ceiling on aspirations because yeah. it's, a, it's a ceiling then, isn't it? And if you put a ceiling on it then, so, you know, just, just, just take one day at a time, you know, just trying to get everyone to be the best, best they can be every single day. And, you know, let's see where it takes us, really. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so pro progress, progress, progress. Oh yeah, yeah. Always, yeah. Pro- progress, and you know, and look back and go, you know, already, I've, you know, I feel this progress. You know, we're, we're we're getting links with with Premier League clubs now in terms of loans. Whether we manage to pull off any this year, but those links are firmly there now, and you know, that's yeah. pro- that's progress as a club. And yeah, look back, you know, that's what I want to look back and on the pitch say, you know, huge progress, but also everything off the pitch you know that there's been real real progress in everything we do yeah is that something that you're wanting to get your hands in not just you know just different people have, have different ways of working some will literally just focus on the first team some will you know look after everything football wise some wants to wants their hand in everything is it, you know do you feel that as a responsibility of yours to you know support the club in all of their aspects you know you talked about some of the the volunteering that you've done and I've seen you've involved in loads of different projects that the clubs are running and the yeah. club looks looks really quite interesting and an exciting place to be at the moment you know yeah. with some of the, the initiatives the 25 year season ticket sort of thing you know brilliant sort of stuff is you know are you interested in all of that stuff yeah I mean I've always got involved in everything you know even the, the women's football I'd go down and do sessions for them you know and yeah I'm going to Obviously, the, the first team success. I can't take my eye off the ball, but yeah, you know, I, I love the club. I've been there a long time. The, the academy, obviously, you know, after starting it, I'm not. Just, you know, it's 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 massive. But at the same time, I think it's really key that I give ownership to to everyone else. I, I think there's a fine line between taking interest and being supportive, but I yeah. don't want to. I don't want to interfere. You know, like Lee knows Mike. You know, Mike's got so much potential. And yeah. I'd like to think, you know, if you want some advice, it, it, it come to me. But it's also important that, you know, they grow. He has the, the, the space to, to perform, he has, isn't it? He has the space to grow because I don't want it to be, oh, well, that's what Robbo used to do with the academy. Let's do a player leg game. That's what, you know, that they're so capable of coming up with their own, own things as, as well, you know, as well as stuff that have become quite traditional with us that work. But so, so I'm always going to, be really keen you know and and want to want to go and you know go down on a Sunday morning now and again and see the young teams because yeah. it's not that's not work is it it's just fantastic <laughs> you know it's um I mean my wife might say different but, <laughs> you know, but for me that's the lovely that's the lovely part of the job you know um, yeah to go down on a Sunday morning and, and watch the, the young lads and you know I, I just don't see that as work you know I, I find that switch off if anything you know so yeah, yeah. are you uh will, i'm assuming you'll you'll still be heavily involved there then. and you know not not in the the day-to-day stuff but you know how, how do you see the academy in the long term you know is that are you are you wanting to get those homegrown players yeah. is that going to be your base you know yeah, you, that you feed from within yeah i've had meetings with mike and you know as, yeah as, as much as he's a good friend now i said you know you've got huge accountability on you. You are our main source of, of players. And, you know, yeah. and I've tried to... He'd have loved that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but, you know, you, you've, you've worked, you know, it's like, how frustrating is it when you get told, ah, oh, if you get one or two and you're doing well, no one wants to hear that. You know, yeah. and, and, that, and that's, you know, and you, you've had, I've had that for years and I'm sure you guys, oh, no, if you get one or two and you're doing well and straight away... There's that ceiling for you. You don't want to hear that. Yeah. What, if I, what if I got a crop of six this year? And already you're telling me if I get one or two, I'm doing well. I don't think I am. So, you yeah. know, I, so 
no, the academy is going to be a massive part of, you know, I want that to be our main source of players, 100%. So, you know, there's, there's a huge accountability on those guys to produce. But if they are what I believe they are, they'd be excited and stimulated by that, not, you know, not, not scared by it. So, um, no, we've I'm sure they will. meetings already and, you know, I'm trying to put incentives in place to, 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 to reward them as well and, and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, I, I just want to, you know, what, what we've done, I come, I come up with a, with a why, basically, Matt. Um, I think in football, when you're a young player, everything's so simple, isn't it? You, you play football, you pick up a ball, you love it, you just want to play football and you want to be a professional footballer. But my years being outside looking in, I've actually looked at players sometimes and think, I'm not sure you even love the game anymore. You know, I think yeah. you've actually forgot why, why you play. And, you know, because there's all this other stuff, there's the pressure of the free points and there's agents and there's this. And I actually forget. So one of, in my first presentation, the big thing was, getting them to love the game again but it was also having a why like a reset button so we come up with our why or purpose whatever you want to call it we called it our why and it's to successfully continue the greatest story in English football now you know you guys might argue obviously it's fine but we feel our story is unique you know from from where we were to what we went to to what we've come back to we think it's and, and to be fan owned yeah and it's almost like a reset button. So, you know, as a player, if you're feeling a bit flat and you fit things that aren't going your way or as a staff member, it's that kind of thing where you go, hold on a sec, I play for the greatest story in English football. It's, it's a reset. Things aren't as bad as what I think they are. And it becomes your purpose again. So that's a big thing that, and if you look at the season ticket holders, the, the club has started taking that thread. Yeah. Um, and again, it's, you know, so whether you're with a club for six months or six years, you've got your part to play, if that makes yeah. sense. It's a bit like the all black thing, you know, you leave you leave the shirt in a better place. And it's yeah, and it, and it's it's that while you're part of us, can you, you know, can you be a massive part of, of where we want to go? And you know, there's other things that we got planned in that sort of thing. So how how um how much are you looking forward to the fans being able to return and what sort of impact do you think? That'll have on on you and and the yeah. and the team, you know. Well, we got we got test events co- coming up. They've been put back by COVID, but um, yeah. I mean, what a stadium as well, by the way. Brilliant. Honestly, I, I can't put my finger on it. It's, I mean, it's not the biggest. It's just under ten thousand. But he, every club, every manager that come went, wow, Robbo, this is it's, it's just one of those stadiums. It's just got a feel. I don't yeah. know if it's because it's surrounded by the flats, because it's. It's in London, you know. It's not. Yeah. It's not in a suburb. I don't know what it is, but it's got a feel. Um, but so we had a test event. Our first test event was Liverpool under twenty threes. It was only two thousand, but obviously it was the first time fans had been back in the stadium. I, I mean, it was. I was. It was embarrassing. I was embarrassing. <laughs> I literally. I literally. I didn't stop. I didn't stop crying. It was. I went out. I went out to watch the warm up. <laughs> And, and there's a guy called Chris Phillips who used to work with Yes. And he, he he announced, I knew my wife was up there and, and obviously the fans had got there early and, and the DJ guy went, oh, I can't believe I'm going to be the first person to say this, but welcome to Plough Lane. Uh, I've got goosebumps just saying it now. He's, I went, so I'm sitting in the dugout watching it, I've just gone. And like one of the members of staff said, Robbo, you can't keep crying, it's embarrassing. I'm just... I just kept walking back in and out of the tunnel. It was, it was, honestly, I can honestly say the first 15 minutes of the game, I didn't have a clue what was going on. It was a complete, it was a complete and utter blur. So, I'm, so in answer to your question, I'm quite happy there's a couple more test events before yeah. the first league game. Because, uh, Get those tears out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, it was, it, yeah, very emotional. <laughs> and it, it, I mean, it will, it will be. It will be different, won't it, having the fans back in? And surely yeah. the players are looking forward to that, and, and you must be as well. Yeah, no, it'd be great. And 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 again, it leads back to the ownership thing. I mean, it was quite interesting without the fans. You could get messages over to the players, not easily, but it was an element that you could. And it was quite interesting just playing the Liverpool game with 2,000, how much more difficult it was. And again, yeah. that just leads back to the ownership side. But no, the players can't, can't wait. I mean, honestly, the noise... From those two thousand, because it bounced off the flats, was was fantastic. So now it's gonna yeah. 
<laughs> well, I, I won't keep you much longer, Robo. So thank you okay. so much for your time today. I mean, it's uh, it's always brilliant, you know, when you have one of your own at a club and, you know, the way you talk about Wimbledon, you know, I think the fans are, are really lucky to have you. And listen, I've, I've been a, I've been a Mark Robinson fan for about five or six years and I'm a, a definitely an AFC Wimbledon fan now as well. So thank you very much. And, and listen, I, I wish you all the best this year. And I know, you know, I know you'll, you'll do fantastically well, but, but we are fingers crossed for you, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks, Matt. It's really kind of you. Thank you very much. Thanks, yeah, all the best, Robbo. Good to see you, mate. And you, and you. I'll say hello to Mike for you. Top man. Cheers, mate. Bye, Lee. Thank you.